Nice to see you all. Um, let me just extend a further welcome to you. Uh, if you're here particularly for the first time, my name's Phil. Uh, I'm one of the elders here. Uh, myself, Nick and Andy, who is away uh, with Teresa, just now on holiday. Uh, we're the elders here and uh, it's just a great pleasure to have you with us this morning. Um, I've said it before and I'll say it again, there are lots of other places that you could have chosen to be this morning, but you're here and uh, it's a real privilege that you are uh, choosing, it to spend, choosing to spend it with us and we hope you have a great morning with us uh, this morning. We hope you're already having a good morning and that that continues for about the next half hour. But you never know. Um, my, uh, my, my message this morning is, is pretty simple. It's, uh, some of you are thinking, Phil, your messages are always simple. S- simple man, simple message. Uh, but, but this morning, uh, this, morning this, is really, this is really a pretty straightforward one, I hope. Uh, and, and really, I want to just kind of speak a wee bit into our 24-7 prayer week. Uh, all, the, all the 24-7 prayer guys are thinking, we've got to fill up all these slots. are thinking, yes. Um, but uh, if, you, if you're new or, or uh, this is the first time or you're not familiar with the concept of 24-7 prayer, uh, basically, this isn't a new idea. This has been going on, uh, our Christians have kind of got hold of this idea at various times throughout uh, history, church history, but right now there is a kind of, there's an organization which has really got hold of this idea of praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year if possible, um, and, uh, and going with it. And so what we've done as a church over the last few years is we've set aside particular weeks um, to just give ourselves as a church to prayer, and you can sign up for an hour slot uh, or more, if you wish, uh, in our prayer room, and just spend time with God, spend time praying. In fact, I was hearing this week, which is very, very exciting, that uh, HTB, uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, where uh, the Alpha Course comes from, is, I think, from ne- I think I'm right in saying, from next year, going to have a 24-7, 365 prayer room going in, on their premises. They're going for the whole year, um, which is absolutely amazing. And that, that's kind of on our hearts as well, that we would um, get there at some stage. But I think this year, this is maybe our third week. Um, maybe we'll squeeze another one in before the end, I don't know. But we're, kind of, we're trying to build up a week at a time. And, uh, but that's where we want to go. That's... Um, what we want to do. So I want, I want to just talk into that a wee bit uh, and uh, talk about what we, a few things, give you a few ideas of things you can be praying for uh, when you're in the prayer room this week. So uh, I am going to pray. That seems appropriate. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we close our eyes, just open our hearts to God, make this your own prayer. Um, Jesus, Jesus, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you you love each one of us so much, Lord. Um, your presence is among us, Father, and you're so good to us. Lord, I just, God, I want to acknowledge my incredible need for you, Lord. 
God, I, I, need, you. I need you so much. Uh, and right now, I really need you. And uh, Father, I thank you that you've promised to send your spirit when your kids ask for it and do great things as a result. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would move amongst us and that you would change our hearts, Lord. God, and I pray that next week, as we give ourselves to praying, Lord, we would see amazing things happen, God, in our own lives. But, uh, but more than that, Lord, um, in the lives of those that we're praying for, Lord. And God, we pray for, for the whole church in Glasgow. Lord, we pray for, for every church this morning where your gospel's being preached. Lord, the good news of Jesus is being proclaimed. Lord, I pray that you'd prosper them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move as the word is being preached and change lives. God, we're going to need the whole of your bride to bring you back, Jesus. And that's never more is that true than in Glasgow. So I pray, God, for your blessing upon your people right across this amazing city. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in 1 Timothy in chapter 2. I'm just going to read a few verses. And then I have three very, very self-explanatory, startlingly simple points. Yeah. I mean, you may, you may even be insulted. You may even feel that I'm insulting your intelligence by saying these things, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, okay, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to read from verse 1. First of all, then, uh, this is Paul writing to his young friend, Timothy. Paul, perhaps towards the end of his life, but certainly a lot of a different generation to, uh, to Timothy, uh, writing some words of advice to this young minister in the gospel. This is what he says. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, that just about covers the full spectrum of prayer, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Okay, my first point is this. Next week, pray for everyone. (laughs) Okay, I mean, it's right there. I just read it out and repeated it, really. Pray for everyone. Pray for everyone. Pray for everyone you can. Pray for all your friends Uh, who know Jesus, especially all your friends who don't know Jesus. Pray for the people you work with. Pray for the people you live beside. Pray for your family. 
pray for the person that you walk past in the street to get to the prayer room. Pray for everyone. Everyone that is in your consciousness, pray for them. That seems to be what Paul's saying. He's saying, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, we all pray in slightly different ways, be made for all people. And if you look into the original Greek, you'll find that that word all, in fact, means all. (laughs) Pray for all people. Pray for all people. It's a really simple point. The question is why? Why should we pray for all people? Well, this again is essentially just reading out part of the passage. But we should pray for everyone because God wants everyone to be saved. Everyone. I, uh, I wonder what your view of God is like. But, but the biblical view of God is this, that, that he is a father. That is who Jesus came to reveal. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. The beating heart at the center of the universe is a father's heart. It's a heart of love. It's a heart that longs for people. Pray for everyone because everyone is on God's heart. There is not a person that you know or that you walk past in the street that isn't on God's heart. A funny thing happened to me. It might, you'll notice this, that my favorite illustration now is largely related to my daughter. Uh, almost everything I do, I'm relating to her. Uh, but, but when... When she was born, a strange thing happened to me when I was driving back to the hospital in the early hours of the morning. And, you know, you have that strange combination of incredibly excited and incredibly tired. Uh, I passed. People just went the normal way because Maisie was born uh, in the hospital that Lizzie worked at. So it it was a road I was familiar with. It was a route that I knew well. I was on autopilot. Just drove down the same streets, dare say, passing similar kind of people that I passed every other day that I'd driven there. Except that day, something was different. And the difference was this, that when I saw the old woman standing at the bus stop in the corner, I thought, wow. Once upon a time, somebody held that old lady in a delivery suite and looked down into her surprised eyes and thought, oh my goodness, you're my little girl. And, and, and you, you start to extend that thought and realize that, that every single person in the world, that's the funny thing about childbirth, you, you think, well, this is such a miracle. You know, this must be the first time this has happened. and then you start to realize how silly that sounds but it's too late because you've already said it but the point is this the point is this that everybody 
in the world. That is how they arrived here. Everyone in this room. That's a so funny thought, isn't it? You. You. This is how you arrived in the world. You, you, you came out and, and somebody held you. And thought, oh my goodness me. And they felt that kind of thrill in their heart. Of, man, I get, I get to see this. That kind of, oh, it feels like a holy moment. When, when, when this little baby opens their eyes for the first time and you're, you get the privilege of being the first one that she sets her eyes upon. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And that is the same for each one of us. And that should give us a clue as to how God feels about every single person. So when you walk down the street, that person that you're walking past before anybody laid eyes on them, God had them on their, his heart. They are alive because God wanted them to be alive. They're walking the earth because God wanted it this way. And he loves them with that tender father heart. We pray for all people because all people, all people, even the ones that really annoy us, are on God's heart. It's, it's really important that as Christians... Um, Christians have got a terrible habit, despite the, the Bible being very clear on this, of just turning into basically self-righteous idiots, and nobody can stand them, and they all end, you know, people just think, well, a bunch of hypocrites, and, you know, really annoying people, who become famous, actually, not for love, but for what they hate, for what they disapprove of, and for what they stand against. But the truth is that we should be people who are consumed with love for the unlovely. Consumed for love because we un- we've understood, we've seen something. Just as I did that morning when I drove back to the hospital, my perspective on life had suddenly shifted and I realized that the way I felt about Maisie, somebody had felt about for each of these people that I was passing. My perspective shifted that morning and I saw the world differently. Now, that is what we should be like. We are people who should have had our perspective shifted. We've, uh, we've suddenly grasped something. That God isn't angry. He's a father. And he loves his kids and he wants to draw them back to himself. We pray for everyone because God has everyone on his heart. You know, if you want to get a glimpse of what God was like, God is like this father heart of God, then just as Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the father. What were the stories that Jesus told? He told stories of, of a father that scanned the horizon waiting for his child to come home. 
desperately longing day after day for the moment when this kid would come back because his heart was in pieces over this lost son. You read sections of the Old Testament, Hosea, for example, and you read the way God speaks about his people. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. This is the tender heart of God towards people. This is the longing that he has. We pray for everyone. Everyone is on God's heart. He wants everyone to be saved. And let me say this. We want the kingdom to come in every conceivable way. I don't, if you haven't heard Andy's preach from last week, it's a good one. Andy's saying actually last week that we don't get to choose the way the kingdom comes. Our responsibility is just to respond when it does and respond in the right way. And if we respond in the right way, then the amazing thing is that little mustard seed grows to become the biggest tree in the field that the birds rest in. But let me say this. If I did have a favorite way that the kingdom was going to come to this earth, it would be this. People getting saved. People actually getting saved. And we, we speak a lot about healings, and, and we should speak a lot about healings. And the last thing I want to do is set up a conflict between different elements of the kingdom coming. But what I don't ever want to do is lose sight of the fact that for the kingdom to come, people need to get saved. You can't have the kingdom of God coming to earth without the king. Without people seeing Jesus for who he really is and thinking, you've got me. I give you my life. I tell you what, that more than anything else is what will change this city. That more than anything will change our, our communities. People getting saved in vast, vast numbers. You, you kind of, I don't know if you, um, like, I like to watch the news. I don't get to watch so much of it now because I'm married and uh, <laughs> Lizzie's less interested in me than the news, uh, in the news. But, um, but the, you, read, you watch the news and you can't think, my goodness, this, this world is a bit of a mess. And, you know, there's a lot of bad news out there. And you can think, well, what, what is... What could possibly, you know, every scheme, every government um, target, nothing really seems to move things on. And what, what will change it? I tell you what will change it. Lots and lots and lots of people getting saved. That will change it. <laughs> that, that's, it strikes me that that's just the simplest way to change the world. Get lots and lots of people saved. You know, it's, probably the, it's definitely the cheapest. 
It's, it's got to be the cheapest. Um, I was reading, I've read this before, but I was just flicking through this and uh, reading about accounts, this book, Great Revivals, Colin Whitaker. It's a great wee book. And uh, there's lots of different accounts of, of revivals uh, that have happened throughout history. Uh, this is from New England in the early 18th century. The revival in New England was one of the most significant of the 18th century. Out of a population of 250,000, at least 50,000 were added to the church. This very high proportion of new converts revolutionized the religious and moral character of the area and had a profound effect on the entire country. One-fifth. 50,000 people. Come on. That will change things. That will change things. You know, we shouldn't think that the times that we live in are particularly um, different to times that others have lived in in the past. Just before Whitfield and Wesley got going, uh, we read this. The situation in England certainly called for a special move of the Spirit of God. For things were in a desperate state. The whole population seemed to be given over to an orgy of drunkenness which made the very name of Englishmen to stink in the nostrils of other nations. You know, so, I tell you what, you don't get that on costume drama, do you? <laughs> you can't think, man, everybody was so well dressed back then. <laughs> of course they're all going to get saved. They're lovely people. <laughs> no. On so many levels, no. But then Whitfield wrote this in his diary on the 1st of January. He was praying, praying in the new year. Don't you just love it? 1739. He said, We had a love feast with the brethren and spent the whole night in prayer, just in case you're worried what that was. <laughs> Psalms and thanksgiving. God supported me without sleep. He says, the hours flew by until about three in the morning when it seemed the day of Pentecost had come again. And John Wesley's journal recalled, the power of God came mightily upon us insomuch as many fell to the ground. See, it's happened before. Don't freak out. As soon as we were recovered a little from awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. Amazing. Amazing stuff. But how does this happen? Well, 1858, the Great Awakening. There often seems to be a widespread spirit of dissatisfaction among those who God is preparing for what he is about to do. I wonder this morning if you are dissatisfied. I'll tell you what, I am. I'm really excited about what God's doing. Really excited. But let's not become 
satisfied with where we are. Because there are hundreds of thousands of people literally on our doorstep who don't have a clue about this. And really what I'm trying to do today before the 24-7 prayer week is stir up some dissatisfaction (laughs) within you. That actually, maybe there's a bit more at stake this week coming than you had imagined. The heart of man begins to cry out for God for spiritual certainties, for fresh visions. From a faint desire, this multiplies as it widens until it becomes a vast human need, until in its urgency, it seems to beat with violence at the very gates of heaven. That is the kind of dissatisfaction, and that's the kind of praying that gets an answer. And that's what we're going to do next week. We are going to beat with violence on the very gates of heaven for all people. For all people. This is our privileged position. You're a holy nation. You're priests of God. You know, in the old days in Israel, one man used to get to go in before God and uh, make the sacrifice for the people and plead the people's case. Of course, that was a picture of Jesus who came from the very presence of God and made the sacrifice of himself so that we could also stand in that place before the Father interceding for the world. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you before the Father. You have a place before the Father where you get a hearing. So next week when you're standing in the Hope Hub, beating with violence at the very gates of heaven, know this, that you're doing it from from a place of intimacy, a place of privilege, a place that gets a hearing. Because of what Jesus has done. I love this one. From the Great Awakening again in America. It was reliably estimated that there were 50,000 conversions in New York alone. And the population of which was then around 800,000. That is roughly the population of Greater Glasgow. 50,000 people getting saved in Glasgow. Can you imagine that? In New England, it seemed that the impact was even greater. One reporter noted the chief concern here is religion. Many meetings are usually crowded and solemn with the whole assembly, sometimes in tears under the melting power 
of the Holy Spirit. In a few months, thousands of converts were added to, to the churches. The same newspaper reported there are several New England towns in which not a single person can be found unconverted. (laughs) That's hilarious. Imagine being an evangelist in that town. It's the definition of frustration. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Not a single person. That's like, let's just, let's boil that down. Rather than a town, let's talk about a street or your work. Not a single person can be found who isn't converted. That's wild. This is history I'm reading. This happened. And do you know the amazing thing that, you know, 50,000, 800,000, you can read the numbers. God wants everyone, every single one. Think of it that way. That's 50,000 individuals, but it's also 50,000 families. It's 50,000 family histories that are changed. 50,000 plus kids growing up in families where they're taught about Jesus. They're taught their identity in Christ. That, 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 could change a, that could change a city in one generation. A single generation. It, it could happen in our generation. God wants us to pray for everyone because he wants everyone to be saved. And he also wants us to pray because Jesus is the only hope. It says this, for there is one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We pray for everyone because God wants everyone to be saved because Jesus is the only hope. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul wrote this. Um, Paul knew the truth of this because, listen, he, no one was less likely to get saved than he was. You know, a few, a few decades before he wrote this, he was trying to murder Christians. So he's saying, pray for everyone. Maybe somebody pray for me. Look what happened in my life. Listen, the fact that you are here is a miracle. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. You know, that actually, you know, sometimes we can think, salvation, you know, how is this person ever going to get saved? You know, you think, well, you know, I got saved. Sometimes you think, how on earth did that happen? (laughs) But But it happened. It happened. And because you are here, that means anyone can be here. Because you're saved, anyone can get saved. That's how I feel about it. I I don't think, it feels to me like no one was further from the Lord than me (laughs) prior to me making that commitment. You know, I'm here. That gives me great faith that anyone can be. But Jesus, we pray because God wants everyone to be saved and because Jesus is the only hope for salvation. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. 
It's really important in all this, when we talk about the kingdom, that we also keep talking about the king. That, uh, that when we pray for people and for the kingdom to come in their lives and for, for healing to take place in their body, that we, we also pray for the king to show up and for them to get saved. Because no matter how amazing the healing is, the death rate remains 100% in this country. I don't know if you've noticed. And um, I was at a funeral a couple of weeks ago, and I tell you what, there's nothing like going to a funeral to remind you of eternal realities. It's, I tell you, it's sobering. And I want people to know Jesus. <laughs> I want them to know. I want to. I want to sit and know they're with Him. That they're in glory. For years, the church has 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 maybe attached less importance to the kingdom coming on earth now than we are currently recovering. But in that recovery, we also remember that the eternity is a long time, and that's where we're all headed. And I want my, I want dearly my friends and my family to know Jesus. So I want to represent Jesus to them as well as I can in deeds and in words. I want them to know that there's one God. And there's one mediator between God and man. I want to explain to them that that God is so holy and awesome and amazing. And our world is such a mess that we need somebody to mediate. We needed somebody who could represent God to the world and the world to God. We needed somebody who could put one hand on earth and one hand in heaven and join us. We needed somebody who, I needed somebody who was just like me, except not like me at all. I needed somebody who was fully human and yet didn't make the mistakes that I continually make. So that when he died, He wasn't dying for his own mistakes, but he was dying for mine. He was dying for theirs. He was dying for the cities. So that if they open their hearts to him, they get invited into a relationship with the father that he has always had. That's the gospel. That he lived the life that I never could and died the death that I deserved so that I could have the relationship with the Father that he has always enjoyed. And I want people to know that. Do you want people to know that? Paul says people won't know unless we tell them. You know, God, Jesus definitely visits people in dreams who don't know him. And You know, he does it all over the place, all over the world. I've heard loads of people getting saved because Jesus showed up to them in a dream. But actually, the main way he does it is he gets you to tell them. Mm 
That is the main way that people get saved. They, they hear the gospel from people who are really living it out with integrity. And they say, you are totally different. And, and now you're telling me why. And actually, oh my goodness, my arm just got healed. This must be true. That's how people got saved in the New Testament. And I want to see that happen again in this city. So we need to pray for everyone because God wants everyone to be saved and because you are the best hope that your friend has. You in their life is the, the, I mean, that's God setting them up. You know, you in your family, that's the best hope for your family. You and your work, that's the best hope for the people in your work. Next week, when you go into that prayer room, I want you to do it with, with confidence that you have a hearing and that you, you are a child of God and that the Father always hears your voice. But I also want you to do it with the urgency Of knowing that Jesus is the only hope. Sometimes we can we can fool ourselves into thinking that you know that person, that friend, you know, she if she could only meet a nice bloke, you know, if she could just get a better job. People need Jesus. And you have Jesus. People need to know that he is God. They need to see it in your deeds and hear it from your voice. And who knows? It's interesting that the Great Awakening in New England began as a prayer meeting. A very, very small prayer meeting that grew until they couldn't fit all the people who wanted to pray in the room. And so they started another one, and then they started another one, and then they started another one, and then they started another one. And then revival broke out. And, you know, I wonder, something is happening in this nation with prayer. I don't know if you're aware, but um, at Wembley, Wembley Arena, I think it even might be this weekend, yesterday, Wembley, Wembley was filled with Christians praying for this nation. That is a lot of prayers. That is beating violently on the gates of heaven. You know, I, I, we need to be aware of that because we need to be aware that we're part of something bigger than us. We're part of God moving again in this nation. 
Think about that. Tens of thousands of people crying out to their Father in heaven. It's amazing. We get the privilege of being part of this. And who knows, in our lifetime, we might see things really change. So, we're going to stop there, which is early. And that's going to give you an opportunity, <laughs> if you choose to, t- choose to take it, to go up to the back of the room and find the 24-7 prayer board and write your name on it and pray for everybody you know. They're all on God's heart that they would come to know him and that as a result of that this country starting with this city would get changed okay let's do it why don't we just pray together lord jesus i thank you for making a way for us to the father i thank you that we can stand before our heavenly father without shame free from all guilt free from all threats of uh, punishment, Lord. We're totally out from all of that. And we get to stand in this place of intimacy where we get a hearing in heaven. And Lord, God, I want to pray for all my friends, all my family, that they would come to know you. Lord, I think of, I think of just the people who are represented in here, all the friends and all the families of all the people sitting in this room. God, that, that, that goes a fair way. That would go a fair way to changing this city. Just these people. And God, I know that you desire for them to be saved. And so I ask, Lord Jesus, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, there are no unsaved people in heaven. And God, I'm asking for people to be saved by the truckload on earth. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would stir a dissatisfaction, Lord. You would stir a compassion in our hearts and that all these kids could be brought home. In Jesus' name, amen.